start with Psalm 143. This is the Psalm of David. Whoever gets there first and would like to read it out, it's a prayer of deliverance and guidance. Psalm 143. Anyone? Oh Lord, hear my prayer. Listen to my cry for mercy. In your faithfulness and righteousness come to my relief. Do not bring your servant into judgment, for no one living is righteous before you. The enemy pursues me. He crushes me to the ground. He makes me dwell in darkness like those long dead. So my spirit grows faint within me. My heart within me is dismayed. I remember the days of long ago. I meditate on all your works and consider what your hands have done. I spread out my hands to you. My soul thirsts for you like a parched land. Answer me quickly, O Lord, my spirit calls. Do not hide your face from me, or I will be like those who are down to the pit. Let the morning bring me word of your unfailing love, for I have put my trust in you. Show me the way I should go, for to you I lift up my soul. Rescue me from my enemies, O Lord, for I hide myself in you. Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. May your good spirit lead me on level ground. For your name's sake, O Lord, preserve my life. In your righteousness, bring me out of trouble. In your unfailing love, silence my enemies. Destroy all my foes, for I am your servant. Amen. So I just I just needed to hear that prayer this morning. Um, so I know my wife will forgive me for not doing Psalm one forty five. Um, so we're studying Ephesians, and we're just coming out of the first chapter of Ephesians. So what's Ephesians about? What's it about? Walk, stand, sit. Walk, stand, sit. So uh, how would you sum up, if you were to have a single verse that summed up Ephesians, mm. which one would it be? One you're going to put up. One I'm going to put it up. Yeah. I would say 4-1. And the reason why is because um, Paul is giving us one of the great, great... Um, theological treaties that he's written that he's the Lord has put on his heart and he's written down for us um, he, he wrote it to the saints who were at Ephesus but also to the faithful in Christ Jesus and so that would be us um, and he's writing it because um, what we know about who God is and how we experience him in relationship should affect how we live in that uh, part of my part of my job is I have a um, I work for the government so and part of my job is security mostly in cybersecurity but I also get briefings on other things that are going on in the world and so you all know this last week there was a, uh, an attack again um, internally within the U.S. in California and. Uh, it will be uncovered as, as a, a terrorist activity. It was planned and orchestrated and designed to bring fear into people's lives such that uh, you don't know who to trust or 
where you can be safe and all of that kind of stuff. And uh, I'm, I'm sitting there with my coworkers, and you know the statement is made that they're bombing uh, in Syria, trying to eradicate the problem. Morning, Bill. Um, they're um, working in multi-nations in order to try and stem the, the terrorist activity. Um, and yet, they're unsuccessful. You know, some would claim success, but really they're unsuccessful. And the reason why is because it's very difficult to fight a war where there are no borders. Yeah. Because it's a war of the heart. That there's... Uh, and I, you know, they call it ideological battle going on, but really, it's about it's about the heart, and that's the the spiritual terrain that we're in. And so, where is a safe place in the battlefield, right? And we're going to find that there is a safe place in the battlefield. And in fact, Paul even uses the language of a battlefield at the conclusion of his letter, and I'll just. Read it because we need to read these things to each other periodically. That was a baby shower, wasn't it? They went to the old guy. It was a baby shower. Yeah, it was. Uh, it, was it was. It was a public oh, Christmas. Yeah, yeah, it was a public event. <clears throat> but Paul wants us to, you know, we should be so impacted by our relationship with God that it, it affects um, first our heart and then how we live because. How we, how we live is a result of what we think, which is a result of what we believe and the choices that we make. And you all have seen me put that, that uh, chart up from time to time. <clears throat> but we need to be reading this and know where our strength comes. And uh, Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, says, Finally, so after he said all of these things right, about who we are in Christ, um, how we should behave and, and respond as uh, moral creatures of God and finally taking a stand he says finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might put on the full armor of God so that you'll be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil so there is a specific one this is a battle and there are there are at least two sides and I would say that there are only two sides for our struggle is not against flesh and blood but against the rulers against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenlies. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day, and having done everything to stand firm. Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. In addition to all, taking up the shield of faith, with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. So that's a, a battlefield uh, picture that Paul is painting for us. That he's, he's telling us that in this battle... We need to be strong in our, our king's might, in his might. It's not our strength that wins this, this battle, wins this war. Rather, it's his, and he's already actually won. 
And that's what we're trying to uncover as we move through Ephesians, is who we are in Christ and how that should affect how we live now. Because what we look forward for, our hope, is for his appearing, right? I mean, if my hope is that I'm going to have a good Christmas, well, that may or may not happen. But um, my hope, because I wrestle in this battlefield, and this is a battlefield where um, people die, right? And that we understand the certainty of that. And when that occurs, we don't know. But God wants us to take a stand. And that my hope is in the appearing of my king. Because he's made me a promise. He's made me a promise that when he comes, when he appears, raised from the dead, I will be as he is. I am in him. That my life is his life. And and that has been guaranteed to us in the resurrection. People uh, are eyewitnesses of that. Um, It was recorded for our benefit, and we know that and have a taste of that through the Spirit. And that that's what Ephesians is about. And that there's there's a purpose for which Paul writes. And uh, so I asked Karen what Ephesians about, and she told me it's about sit, walk, stand. We need to understand our position in Christ. We need to walk appropriately in the world and finally we need to take a stand and in uncovering how Paul's going about um, informing us about who God is so we want to understand truth Uh, we also want to understand grace because it's essential to who um, to our understanding who we are in Christ and so I I put up what I call (laughs) salvation order what what is salvation about? Because this is the great blessing of God to us. We have a benefit of being in relationship with him. That benefit is eternal life. Right? It's his life. It's um, righteousness. You know, when we look at the world and we see all that is unright and needs to be uh, changed from unright to right, moved um, to a different place, We call that justice. Restoring righteousness is justice. And our heart cries out for that. To be in relationship with the righteous king has benefits. And that's what Paul, in his letter, introduces us. And I'm going to read this probably very frequently as we move through Ephesians, which is chapter 1, verses 3 through 14. And we've already unpacked this, but I'm going to read it, and then we'll move on. Grace to you. And peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies, in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us. In all wisdom and insight he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his kind intention, 
which he purposed in him with a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of the times, that is, the summing up of all things in Christ, things in the heavenlies and things on the earth. In him also we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to his purpose, who works all things after the counsel of his will, to the end that we who were the first to hope in Christ would be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, after listening to the message of the truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession, to the praise of his glory. <clears throat> we, are, we are blessed, right? So when I read David's psalm, when we read Psalm 143, and I hear the cry of his heart, it's the cry of his heart in a broken world. It's a cry of his heart to be, to be for God's revelation of himself, Christ revealed um, in the present. So David is standing there, like, and he gives a, a, an example of being like in a parched place, and how the ground in, uh, in a desert just thirsts for the rain, right? It, it longs for it, and that's what David's saying. He's saying, you know, I long for this. This is my hope. I, I believe it. I can't wait until the day my Redeemer appears. Because when he appears, he puts all things right. He, he makes it the way it's supposed to be. And the way it's supposed to be is that he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. He predestined us to adoption as sons. He redeemed us through his blood. And that this is the, his kind intention. So Paul is just kind of peeling back the layers here on who God is and what he's done and an understanding of the word grace. Because we understand that there are three things from our perspective. When we look at, at scripture, there are uh, two general perspectives. One general perspective is what I call a prophetic perspective. It's God speaking to humanity. He's revealing who he is, his person, his character, his nature, um, and his plan, what he's about doing. He's revealing that to us. And we see that, that we uh, have, an inherit, we have a, a revelation here of what God is doing and that that ultimately is to our benefit and our inheritance. That's the, the prophetic perspective. But then there's also what we call the wisdom perspective, which is the response of humanity to that revelation. Right? So the prophetic perspective, God speaking to man, to, to humanity, revealing um, himself and his plan, wisdom perspective, the response of man back. And so in the wisdom perspective, we respond uh, in kind. We respond in love, we respond in faith, and we respond in hope. We know that we love because he first loved us, that that's not our native, uh, as a fallen creature, uh, place in the world. And we respond in faith as we hear the word of God and it speaks to our heart. It's, it's in that battlefield, the battlefield of the heart, the one without borders that nobody can bomb, nobody can shoot and take away because it's the heart, right? That when we hear the truth of God, that we respond in faith and that that gives us hope. We're looking towards his appearing. 
But what that message is, that gospel, is the gospel of grace and truth. How do I know that that's that's the gospel message? When I go to John chapter 1, there's what we call the prologue, and it talks about the revelation of God in the Word, right? And the Word becoming flesh. And then it talks about how He came but was rejected. But as many as He received them, to Him He gave the right to become children of God, entering into this relationship. I'm reading in John chapter 1, verse 12. It says, To them He gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in His name, who were not born, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So it's that work in the heart that God is doing to bring those that he has created to him. We read on that it says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory, the glory of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. So we're coming into, we're in the Advent season now, we're coming into celebration of Christmas, the birth of Christ. That's what we're, re- that's what we're celebrating. We're celebrating the work of God to bless us that he planned from before the foundation of the world to make a way for us to be in relationship with him, to actually win this battle that has so many running in fear. Right? That's what this is about. Christ's coming to save us. And that we understand that everything that occurred in his life was by design of, of the Father, God, to bring about that which was impossible for humanity. It required God becoming a man to actually come and die in our place. And we don't fully understand that. I mean, I don't fully understand it. Maybe you guys are smarter than me. But I don't fully understand how substitutionary atonement actually works. I know about death because I've seen it. Um, I know about death in my own body because I feel it. And I know that um, I went to a memorial yesterday and celebrated the life uh, of a friend. And that he is now with Christ, and that is my hope, right? So I know, I know death. But I also know that God came in Jesus, his son, to rescue me, to redeem me. To die in my place. That's what that's about. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we saw his glory. And when, they see, when John says, we saw his glory, he's talking about when he actually saw Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration, who was a man, fully human, without sin, such that he could be in the presence of God directly. And when he actually stood there on the Mount of Transfiguration, that righteousness coming out of him was so bright, it was brighter than the brightest light. Right? We read about that same when Jesus comes back in Revelation. It's brighter than the brightest white. Right? That there is one to whom truly his glory is a glory that, that none mistake. Everybody will see it. We saw his glory. Glory is of the only begotten from the Father. That only begotten is one of a kind. 
unique, full of grace and truth. So John gives us an incredible um, piece of revelation about the truth of who Jesus is. Right? So when we went through John and we spent a year doing that, and I read the, the theme of John every week, and I took you to chapter 20 of John, verses 30 and 31, he says, Therefore many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these have been written, that's recording the revelation of God, so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. So John wanted us to understand truth. Paul wants us to understand grace. And that's what we're going to take a look at this morning. Paul wants us to understand grace. We read about that that grace of God. It says, um, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us. Right? So this grace of God, whatever that is, is something that God's just poured out in excess. And so when we talked about that, um, that doxology, we talked about God's choosing us. And we talked in general about God's grace, that God's grace, prevenient means, comes before. When we're in a place of total... Uh, not deserving any favor of any kind. God's grace was there for us. And that that grace was not just there for us, but in salvation it is completely effective. It lacks nothing in being able to accomplish that which God desires. It's powerful. Grace is powerful. And when we talk about, you know, we need to stand firm in the power of his might, we need to understand God's grace. And not only that, but we need to live it. And we understand that, um, we talk about calling and revelation, and that that's what um, Paul would like us to get. He would like us to um, have this revelation. We read here about... uh, Take you to the verse so that I don't. Uh... Do, 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 do. Okay. Um, okay, here we go. In uh, verse 8 and 9 of, of the first chapter, in all wisdom and insight, he made known to us, that is, he revealed to us, the mystery of his will according to his kind intention which he purposed in him, that is Christ, with a view to the administration suitable to the fullness of the time. So what he's, what he's saying is, is that um, Christ needed to be revealed to us and that it's for a purpose. And as we moved through that doxology and we looked at, um, so the, the doxology is about being uh, blessed and chosen um, that we have adoption and forgiveness through grace and that there's a, a plan revealed to us. And then Paul has what I call a thanksgiving prayer. 
which uh, we see in verses 15 through the end of chapter 1, where the, the purpose, the intercession part of this prayer is that we will um, get the gift of revelation. And that the goal uh, of revelation is three things. To know the hope of his calling. Get out my little pointer here. Know the hope of his calling. To know the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. And that's his inheritance. And we talked a little bit about that. And to know his incomparably great power. And then he explains that power a little bit to us. He talks about um, God's working in Christ. Resurrection from the dead is the first thing that he knows. When you look at the power of God displayed in history, of all of history, that is the single most powerful event. God's done incredible things, including creating everything by a word. In the beginning, God created He spoke into existence all that is. And yet greater than that is a redemption of those that were lost and eternally separated. That's a pretty amazing thing to think about. The resurrection from the dead of Jesus by God himself, the author of life, is the most powerful work that he's done. Exaltation at the right hand, which means that Um, This was for a purpose, an administration, right? So we understand that um, as creatures or as citizens of the kingdom, uh, we have a relationship with the king. Um, There is is an administration of that kingdom. We call it heaven, right? So I was uh, reading this morning, or Karen was reading, about heaven being... uh, the most glorious of places, right? We all look forward to heaven. But heaven is not the, the, uh, the end purpose. The end purpose is to be with God in Christ, right? Heaven just happens to be where Christ is. And to be in his presence is incredibly glorious. So we have him exalted to the right hand above every ruler and every force that he is the king of heaven and king of earth. And that um, we have proof that all things are submitted to him. So all of that is part of uh, Paul's prayer and that ultimately we would understand the fullness of God in Christ, right? So when, I, when we were reading through that and I got to the end, uh, last sentence, talking about that administration and him being... Um, Seated at the right hand in heavenly places, we read about in chapter 1, verse 20, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. I mean, he's covering everything there. Everything is in submission to Christ. So I don't care what's going on in California. I don't care what's going on in Syria. I don't care what's going on on the moon, right? So Russia wants to put a permanent base on the moon. Um, All of that, is in submission to the Creator, right? He has put all things in subjection under His feet and has given Him as head over all things to the church, which is His body, the fullness of Him who fills all in all. That idea of being the the fullness of Him filling all in all means that our relationship with Him actually fills us with life. The very life that is the greatest miracle that ever occurred, the resurrection from the dead, is 
that which um, is in us. Christ in us. We are in Christ, he is in us. We have the fullness of him who fills all in all. And that's specifically talking about the church. We're going to see what many people, as we read through chapter 2 in the next 10 verses, many people would consider this uh, a continuation of the prayer. Whether it is or not, or it's uh, uh, if it's part of the prayer, that's great. If it's more uh, understanding of what God is doing for us in Christ, uh, that's not prayer but more discourse, you know, just Paul teaching. Um, it's not really important. Um, but what is important is the content of it. Because what we're going to see here is Paul's salvation theology summed up. So we see, you know, when I gave you those eight points in the order of salvation, and that's a, a salvation theology, right? I culled that from a lot of different scriptures. So when I present my doctrinal position, what I believe as a, a minister in Christ, so I have a, a calling to teach, and uh, when I'm acting in that in that. Uh, that calling when I'm stepping forth, I have to present what it is that I believe, what it is that I'm teaching. And part of that is my doctrinal position on salvation, which I just put up on the, on the board for you, right? So Paul, I, I culled that from a lot of different places, but Paul has given us this summary in one place, in, in uh, 10 verses. And I'm going to read it here in a second. But uh, one of the things that I've done in teaching is I've taught evangelism. What is evangelism? Does anybody know? Yeah. It's when we're, we're sharing the good news, the gospel of what Christ has done in our life with another person. That's evangelism, right? And uh, when I teach people how to do that, I always try and keep it simple because people get all nervous when they go to share their faith, they think, well, what if I get it wrong? Um, that person might not be saved, and yet they think they're saved. Right? What if um, I got it wrong? Right? And that I don't understand what I think I understand. And people get all nervous about you know, sharing their faith, which is really pretty simple. So I give, them, I give them four points. Actually, I give them five points. First point is there is a God. Right? So you, you start with that, that um, I'm not God. And I think most people, not all people, but most people acknowledge that they're not God, even though they try and be God. Um, but they'll acknowledge that to some degree. And uh, so first is, there is a God. The second thing is, things are really messed up. They're not as they're supposed to be. That's my first point. Things are messed up, they're not as they're supposed to be. We know that because we desire something different in our heart. We desire righteousness, and yet we see brokenness. And as a result of things not being as they're supposed to be, the second point is, is that there's a consequence of that. The consequence is death. We know that that's true, and people joke about it. Two things are certain, death and taxes. Which one's worse? Some would say taxes. I would say no. Actual loss of life. You've been given an incredible gift. And to 
lose that is is, an, is the greatest tragedy, right? So things are messed up. They're not as they're supposed to be. There's a consequence for that, and that's eternal separation um, and what we call death. The third point is, is that there's good news, that God made a way that even though things are messed up and the result of that is death, that we can overcome death through him, that he has overcome death on our behalf, that there is salvation. Good news, right? Three things. Things are messed up. Consequence of that is death. Good news. God desires to save and has made a way. doesn't just desire it. He's accomplished it. Fourth point. That means something to you. That, that affects your personal destiny. You have a choice to make. Whether you like it or not, you have a choice to make. Four points. So that's why I teach evangelism, right? That's what Paul says in verses, chapter 2, verses 1 through verse 10. It says, and you were dead... So that's four points. What's the fifth point? Well, the fifth one I started with. Actually, I call it point zero. You have to start with that there is God. <laughs> okay. So, okay, let me, let me do it. Yeah, do it under point, point zero. There is a God. Oh, okay. Things are messed up. There's a consequence of that. It's death. Um, the uh, gift of God is eternal life, right? And that he uh, has made a way. That's the good news. That's the good news. And the fourth, the last point, whether it's fourth or fifth. So, so I, I, I messed it up by throwing in one, two, three, four. <laughs> Just stick with the one, two, three, four. Yeah, I'll, I'll yeah, stick with the one, two, three, four. <laughs> the, the, fourth, the fourth piece is, well, I have to use my hands. Zero should be a given. What's that? Zero should be a given. But in That's the right. Zero should be a given, but, but it's, it's not. not today. So I always, say, you know, I always start there. It's like, well, um, really? You, you believe that? this is all just an accident and everything came from nothing just because and, uh, and it's running towards uh, eternity in a serial fashion and the end of everything is cold, dark and empty that's the end of everything by the way they've, they've determined the universe is not cyclical it's expanding and will continue to expand uh, into cold, dark, nothing the end of everything, according to the physical laws of the universe, is cold, dark, empty. Right? No energy, or totally dispersed. So, really, you believe that? That's where I start. Okay, my point is, we yeah. all need evangelism 101. Oh, okay. Every now and again, we should be repeating that. Okay, every week, so, you know. every week, there is a God. <laughs> things are really messed up, they're not as they're supposed to be. There's a consequence of things being really messed up. The good news is God does not desire that we stay there, that he's made a way to conquer death, to restore to right that which has become corrupted. We call that justice. And we don't like that piece because that, I'm on the wrong side of justice. I'm on the death side, right? I want, I want the deliverance side. And then the last piece is, is the personal accountability in that. As a result of that revelation... Whether people like it or not, or whether they acknowledge it or not, there is a choice that everybody makes. That's the battle of the heart that's going on. 
It's the, the battle without borders. Because the border is the heart. It's a domain that, that God owns and created. And false God wants to wants to steal, to kill and to destroy. And I wouldn't I wouldn't even put the enemy anywhere near um, the creator in power. But nonetheless, we understand that our physical body can be destroyed. So we think that that's powerful. God's saying, oh, don't worry about that. There's a whole lot more to worry about. That idea of being separated from him for all eternity. So that's evangelism 101. When I read what Paul is saying here, he says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Point one. In which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them, we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. So, first, Paul's making the point, things are not as they're supposed to be, they're messed up, and that messed upness he calls directly sin, and that it's not just y'all excluding oneself, but it's y'all inclusive of oneself. He's saying, I'm messed up too. I walked there. I walked in uh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind. And as a result of that, um, by nature, I am a child of wrath. What does that mean, a child of wrath? Pardon? You deserve what you're going to get. That's right. So, you know, I tell the story, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was formless and void, and we read the whole story going through, and there are, there are um, five good days, right? This is good, this is good, this is good, this is good, this is good. Then he gets to the sixth day, and he creates man, right. creates humanity. Pardon? Yeah, he says, this is very good. Pardon? It wasn't good not to have a maid. So. It wasn't, right, well, that whole day, right? And we read about the in the first chapter before it drills down into the specifics. Mm-hmm. But that which God calls very good, think about that. God looks at something, he says, this is very good. He's putting a superlative on that. That's like... Um, there, was, there was a song by the Jefferson Airplane back in the 60s called We Are the Crown of Creation. Right? Remember Crown of Creation? No. You are the crown of creation. Anyway, I'll do air guitar. But, but, uh, <laughs> the, the, the point is, is that humanity is, is amazing. What God has created in man is actually an image of communicable attributes of himself. Not that we are God, but that the communicable attributes of God, that, that which can be communicated to his creation, is actually imaged, Im- impressed into the, the dirt clod of humanity. And God breathed into humanity the breath of life. Right? 
more than just animation, more than just the electrical impulses and the chemistry and the blood flowing and all that. Actually, man became a living soul. Amazing. The crown of creation. And we like to think of ourselves as more than we are because we're actually a little lower than the angels. Those that actually are in the presence of God continually. Right? But we were designed to be in his presence, to walk with him and talk with him, and to be in communion. That is very good. God said, this is good. And when that got corrupted, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. That got corrupted. And and death entered in, separation from God. That really ticked him off. Was he ticked off at Adam and Eve? Pardon? Did did he did he um, destroy Adam instantly? It's like I'm done with you. <laughs> no, that's not what happened. He actually loved Adam, and he loved Eve, and it broke his heart in a very profound way to see the corruption that had entered in. And that made him so angry at evil. He wants to destroy that which is not right. Because it took that which is very good and brought death. Right? It's an incredible thing that happened at the fall. An incredibly bad thing. It broke God's heart. But he didn't give up on this. Pardon? He had to know what was going to happen. He did. And, and that's why when we read in, in uh, chapter 1, he has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies, in Christ. In Christ. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. So sure enough, he, he knew because he chose us before the foundation of the world. Because there is something in communion with God that blesses us, we benefit from it, and God delights in it. When you read about that, that is his inheritance. Now, we have an inheritance, which is our life in heaven with God for eternity. But that um, which delights him the way that it was very good, that it was intended to be, is actually his design and his desire. See, God isn't a God that wants to just like create things, set them in motion, and step back. He's not like, um, uh, so the deists would believe that. He's not just like the cosmic watchmaker, where he has no relationship with his creation. But rather, he has an intimate uh, relationship with his creation. And that's what really, really ticks him off, is that that was broken. And yet he knew that that could be redeemed, and that the end would be better than the beginning. He could see the end from the beginning. So you're right. He knew that. And he immediately, even though he he made a statement to Adam and Eve, like, we're going to deal with this sin problem, by the way. The, the, uh, your seed will crush the head of the one who brought the evil in. That's what the, the promise was is that there would be justice 
there would be a restoration to right. Um, but that the result of sin was, in fact, what God pronounced from the very beginning. Separation, death. And that in the, the days that we have that we work out prior to our death, prior to having an opportunity to enter into a redemptive relationship with God, they're toil. So we are created for good works. That's what we are created for, right? So he, pre, he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we would be holy and blameless before him in love. We're going to find out here at the end of, of this in uh, uh, chapter 2, verse 10, it says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which he prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. Right? So that's what we were created for. And so what the promise was is that as we're working out um, our salvation, as Paul uses that phrase at one point in time, as we're wrestling with the enemy, um, there is uh, a hope. That hope is that God has, has solved this problem. And that we place our faith in him. That he has solved this problem. And the solution to that problem, if you recall what I had up there on the, on the, the order of salvation, right after election is grace. Amazing grace. Right? And that, that grace of God is our salvation. He saves us. And our response is one of faith. That we can be, as was promised to Adam, the enemy could be crushed, things can be made right, we can be back in relationship with God to do good works. That which he ordained from before the foundation of the world. Right? That's a pretty amazing thing. That was, that was a promise given to, to Adam and to Eve. That they would not be abandoned. However, death entered in. There was no question about that. And the proof of that was, was they got kicked out of the garden. Right? And the flaming swords came up because they should not enter eternity, the tree of life, in a corrupt state. Because in that corrupted, lifeless state, it's eternal death. That's a terrible thing. Right? Eternal death. And Jesus actually spoke about that. He said, you know, we worry about flesh and blood. That's not where the battle is. Don't worry about the one who can kill your body. Worry about the destruction of your soul, the destruction of your spirit, the destruction of your connection with God. That's what he said is important. You don't want eternal death. So Jesus actually spoke as much about eternal death as he did about eternal life and his mission to bring God and the solution for sin and death into the world. Because he wanted people to be aware. He wanted them to know that you're dead in your trespasses and sins. And guess what? It applies to everybody. And it doesn't really matter that um, the reason for your sin is because you were deceived. You still own that sin. Eve was deceived, right? We know Adam, um, he was right there. 
and he ate of the apple too. He disobeyed God. He believed the lie. He did it without deceit. At least that would be the inference. When we read that passage in chapter 3 of Genesis, the inference is, is that Adam with full knowledge sinned. That's a horrible thing. Right? To look God straight in the eye and say, meh. Ow. And, and the result of that is death. And it says, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. So it may look natural. It may be um, um, by the world standard normal. So what they're calling this terrorist attack that happened in California this week is the new normal. They said this is the new normal, right? Been watching the news. They're trying to figure out what do we do with this? We can't blow them up because they keep, the heart keeps showing its corruption and surfacing at all these places and you can't know if it's your neighbor with a six-month-old baby and, a, and the face of a cherub. They might shoot you the next moment, right? That's the course, that's the new normal. That's the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. I can unpack that a little bit, but we'll, we'll move through here. The spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. So that's what's happening in the world. Among them, we too all formerly lived, he includes himself in that, in the lusts of our flesh, including the desires or indulging in the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and we're by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. So rather than being in a relationship with God where um, he is delighted at me being in his presence, he is really ticked off at the corruption that I brought into his presence. That's, that's a terrible place to be. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love, which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. With Christ. By grace, you have been saved. That's a parenthetical comment, so most of your Bibles will probably put it in parentheses. That's a grammatical construction. He's saying that this, this work of God, that even though we were dead, he has made us alive. That's God's grace. What is God's grace? What's the definition of grace? Unmerited favor. Unmerited favor. Getting something we don't deserve. Yep. Getting something we don't deserve. Mercy would be not getting what you do deserve. And grace would be getting what you don't deserve. Right? We get, instead of, instead of a curse... We get a blessing. You know, when you look at the law and the blessings and the cursings, instead of the cursings, we get the blessings. That's what God intends. Being rich in mercy because of his great love, which he loved us. Even when we were dead in our transgressions, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So when we were talking about that administration uh, role of the Son, that God has 
um, exalted him to his right hand. The position of authority. And I deal with this all the time because I'm in the army, so you have to know who has the authority for what, you know. So it's all about authority. And as you go up the chain, you get to the ultimate authority, and in the executive branch, the ultimate authority is the president, right? So we get executive orders, executive directives. And that comes downhill to folks like me. So we understand authority. Christ is the highest authority in heaven and in earth. We understand that that's necessary because of the relationship of creature and creator. That there is one ultimate authority, and that is the creator, and that is Christ. And guess what? He brought us to where he is. Heaven is, like, cool because there's no, no suffering there, no pain. And I know a lot of us are sitting here this morning suffering, right? And that... Um, there are physical sufferings, but there are also sufferings of the heart. When we suffer the loss of someone that we love, that breaks our heart. I can't imagine the broken heart of God and what he sees in those that don't choose him, even though he's made a way. He has seated us with him in heavenliness, in Christ Jesus, so that in the ages to come, he might show the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved. And he throws in, it's like, God is doing this incredibly amazing, one-of-a-kind, ever redemptive work. He is bringing life from death. And the way that that grace is appropriated by us, the way that I come to actually touch that grace is through faith. That's what it says here. It says, by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. This is the great Christmas present. Not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. That's, that's the summary of the gospel. That things are really messed up. And that the consequence of that is separation from the one whom we all desire, that we were created for, to be in relationship with him, to be separated from him for all eternity. We're messed up, and there's a consequence, and that consequence is death. But that God, in the richness of his grace, brought life out of death. And the, the proof of that is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that the way that I enter in to that life is through faith. And that's the part we need to pull apart. It's like, what, what does that mean? Does that mean that I recite a particular phrase in a particular way? Does that mean that I um, have a chant as I run a plane into a building? Right? There are a lot of people that have a lot of ways that they think that they're coming to God in faith. What does God actually ask us to do? What is that that fourth so what question. What does this mean to me? What's the choice that I have to make? 
and how do I make that choice? That's what we're going to unpack next week. But I want you to, to ponder this week as you're working out the good works to which God has prepared for you um, and sharing in God's grief over our missed opportunities um, because that's part of our daily life. Um, I want you to consider what that means. By grace you have been saved through faith and not of yourselves it is the gift of God. Let's go ahead and close in prayer. Lord, um, we're just just beginning to talk about what grace is and the incredible um, depth and width and height of that grace that is in Christ to us, toward us, Lord, that you um, gave a promise even at the very beginning that that which was lost would be redeemed. Lord, help us to, to really mine these passages and, and pull out an understanding, a revelation of your grace. Lord, reveal to us your truth in Christ. Reveal to us your grace in Christ. That is our life. Lord, and then help us wrestle through that day by day, that, that which has already been done, that which we are doing, and that which is yet to come, Lord, in our salvation. Let us wrestle through that understanding of faith, that we can walk and stand in that evil day, that we can stand fast with the full armor of God. Lord, um, help us to to really open these passages. Um, have your spirit reveal to us that which you would desire us to know. Lord, we ask that you be with us this week, um, that you would provide for us and protect us. We're incredibly vulnerable in this world and need um, from moment to moment the breath that we breathe and uh, all of the incredible goodness that you pour out upon us. We desperately need that, even when we're not thankful. Lord, uh, we need that. We thank you for your provision, your protection. Your, uh, your life that you laid down for us on the cross. As we celebrate Christmas, help us always keep that at the forefront. And Lord, be with Bob this morning as he uh, brings your word to your people. And let many be touched by your spirit. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for all this we pray in your name. Amen.